Hello and welcome to Consumerosity, brought to you by Layby, the show where we explore the challenges for the 20s crowd that you'll find oh so familiar when it comes to finance, shopping, credit and the psychology driving our experiences as consumers. I'm Alex. And I'm Jen. So how this podcast works is each week we'll be choosing a different topic to dive into, bringing in interesting guests to shed even more light on the weird and wonderful goings on of the world of money. Yep, actual useful financial hacks, all served with a side of curious psychology and not a meerkat or voucher code in sight. (laughs) But before we introduce this week's topic, we've got a little segment we like to call Something of Note. Something of Note. Ta-da! Basically, we try and outweird each other every episode with strange money-related trivia. So, this week's Something of Note is... You ready, Alex? Drumroll. Ta-da! Did you know, if you find buried treasure and don't report it, you could face a prison sentence... No, you can't. Yes, you can. A man called Terry Herbert unearthed some Anglo-Saxon treasure in 2009 that was worth 3.2 million. Takes all the fun out of finders keepers, doesn't it? <laughs> oh so my you goodness. have to report it. You have to let someone know. Who do you let know? Where do you report that? I don't know. Like to, to the buried treasure agency, or to the to the money factory, or the like the, the the a, a bank, as some sort of financing policing type. Well, situation. it would look a bit weird, wouldn't it, if you just showed up? He had a treasure chest full of gold. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's really in a treasure chest. That image of him walking along with the treasure chest. Like covered in sand. But it's true. It's kind of like, yeah, like what What do you define um, as large as well? Like if you if you found £100 worth or £1,000 worth, would you, do you think that that would be, have to be declared? Oh, surely not. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Everyone's got to have a bit of a maverick streak, streak in life, haven't they? <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> I, would love, I would love to find £3.2 million. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be incredible. What, what an amazing life. Life experience, Terry Herbert, you know? Go on, Terry. Go on, Terry. Go and write a book. Um, Jim, this week, we're talking about how to make money while you sleep. Like, literally, how you're making money in your sleep. Ooh, that sounds good to me. What do you think? It sounds like something that is... Are you ready for it? Does it sound like a dream? (sighs) It sounds like a dream, but it also sounds like something that could be one of those topics that I'm like, oh, is it one of those kind of banky things that... that, You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a scam. Yes. It's like one of those get rich quick. Yeah, it does. And then and, and it makes me feel like it's too good to be true. You know when people say when something sounds good, too good to be true, it usually is. Uh-huh. It's that sort of... Mm. I know what you mean. Have you, got, have you got anything on the go currently which contributes to the funds overnight? Yeah, do you know what? I've got an ISA interest savings account, which is really, you know, I've had for a long time and it gives me very little interest. Yeah. And I've just opened a LISA, a lifetime... ISA, which um, which is a new a newer kind of government scheme, which is um, where you put in money if you can put in up to four thousand pounds a year, and the government will match twenty five percent up to four thousand pounds, which is great. Um, so I can't now get a property with it, but it's it's meant to be helpful for first time buyers, and if not for your retirement. So, Amazing. Yeah. So so when you choose, you can withdraw those funds and use that as your contribution towards your mortgage or your first property or whatever. Exactly. It may be. Only and you can only withdraw it for that pre-retirement otherwise you can't you can withdraw but you get charged like 25% like you get you get a charge on that yeah because the idea is it's supposed to incentivize you to, to save for your retirement or your first home do you get an interest rate on top of the the LISA 
yes, you do have a small interest. I don't think it's huge, but I know that because you've got those government top-ups, that's like the main incentive, really. Yeah. But yeah, a small interest. So it's pretty. It's a pretty decent scheme. Like I feel like a fool if I wasn't to take part in it. You know. And this is a new. This is something new that I've just brought out. Yeah, I think it's been out for. It's been out for a short while, but I know now. Uh, I think there's a. I think you have to pay into it before a certain time this year. So yeah. that's why people are a bit more urgent about doing it. Well, it's incredible. It's almost like free money, right? Yeah, it is. And I think it's something that that at least there's something trying to be done, you know, some some kind of other incentive. Because I know, you know, we talked previously about like how much trust you have in things like pensions yeah. and, and how much trust you have in those savings that are going to come through later. So if there's something else that sounds like a good deal or a good idea and a kind of a scheme, you know, sometimes you hear about these schemes like people have had in the past, like right to buy and those kind of things. Mm. And I think, well, this sounds like a timely scheme that we should really jump on, you know? And I think this is why this will really interest millennials in particular because you're actually seeing a tangible return. Mm-hmm. Like, if you contribute it and you're getting a quarterback of £1,000 extra yes. in your bank account every year, that's a noticeable difference. It's a much bigger increase in, like, 3 4% interest rate. Yes. Which links nicely to compounding interest. Oh, yes. Are you familiar yes. with it? I've heard a little bit about it, but can you break it down for us? Of course. Compound interest refers to the principle that when you save money, as well as earning interest on the savings, you're actually earning interest on the interest itself. Ooh. Want to see it in action? Oh, yes, please. All right, Jen. If you deposited £1,000 at a rate of 10%, at yeah. the end of year one, you would have £1,100. Yeah. So wow. £100 of interest earned. The following year, you would earn £110 in interest. 10% of the original capital, 10% of the year one interest. Oh. Next year, £121 and so on. Wow. So Incredible. Yeah. So it's literally just reproducing every year. Absolutely. And this is this is earning money in your sleep because you don't have to do anything about this. And the more you contribute to that account, it's only going to increase your return. Oh, my goodness. Like, I need to get my hands on some compound interest I right now. I, I mean, 10% is, we all know that, that's a ridiculous rate, but that's just showing the power of the compound power interest. Of. Oh, and now you say that, actually, we've got some, I've got something here, actually, a fact to build on that and a compa- to compound your fact that you to just To compound me. on my compounding <laughs> fact. Um, so here, actually, this is brilliant. So if an individual was to start saving £100 a month at the age of 30 and continued until they were 60, they would have saved with 10% annual interest a sum of £217,132.11. Okay. All for £100 a month. Yeah. Which Ridiculous. Is, which is incredible. However, if they started saving £100 a month at the age of 20 so 10 years before that, stopped when they were 30 and left the money in the account until they turned 60, they would have accumulated £367,090.06. So they would have made more by starting earlier and having a gap from the £150,000 extra. That's incredible. It's ridiculous. This is magic. It is magic. It's a no-brainer, really. Jen, what would stop someone from doing this? Well, I guess, you know... I started saving when I had a more secure job. So when I was a teacher for about six years, I had this knowledge that I had this amount of money coming in and I had a plan. You of can course. plan. It's like a frequent paycheck. You know when it's coming in. 100%. But now, being a freelancer, being self-employed, and I'm sure other self-employed freelancers you know, might feel like, feel like this, I don't know sometimes if I'm going to be working next month or in the next three months 
um, it's very likely that I could have a few weeks off or there could be, you know, a down period. Because although you live from like, you might have a big paycheck, but then you might not have anything for a while. Yeah. So you have to sort of siphon your money into different accounts and maybe have a bit there to dip into if you need to use it as your salary for another month. So it's scarier to have to lock your money away in savings if, you know, sometimes you have to lock it away for maybe two years or three years. Definitely. And although it's, yes, it's a discipline and some people are very non-negotiable about that, it's a scary thought because you think, well, what if I really need that literally to feed myself? That's it. And I th- that's really interesting because you, you're you aware of it. You know what it is and you'd, it's, you'd love to have it, but mm. it's not, and especially with the gig economy and everything, you know, where the world's changing, is mm. people know about these things, so they tend to, but yeah. they don't have that security of a frequent paycheck. Yes, Or the, exactly. even the employee contribution as well because if you're freelancing, I mean, you're, yeah. just, you're working for yourself. You're not going to have that employer to pay into these funds as well and, and top that up. It's... Yeah, it's it's a scarier thought actually, and and um, I recently listened to um, the book. I, li- I listen to audio books. Yeah. There's a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. Have mm-hmm. you heard of it, Alex? Uh, no, tell me more about it. So, Rich Dad Poor Dad is uh, all about how it's it's almost teaching the reader about uh, how to make your money work for you in, yeah. in a similar way. And it, it's um, the author talks about how he had his own dad, who was his poor dad. And his poor dad was taught to work for somebody who would give him a good secure pension, a good salary, and he'd always be safe and happy and well. And his rich dad was his friend's dad, and his rich dad taught him about business and how to make, and always making sure he pays himself first and how to run business. And essentially, then, you know, the the author talks about how he uses property. You know, he he talks about how property is actually a liability. It's not an asset. It's only an asset until someone else is paying it for you. Yeah, of course. And which I would never, you know, we're in the UK, we're all obsessed with buying property and we all think, let's get the big mortgage and, you know, but actually you think that that's your asset. You think, right, I've got my asset now, but it's not. It's still a liability. So, and it's, and all those kind of reversing, it reversed how I thought about things and made me think, gosh, I've been looking at money the, the wrong way for so long. So I'm in this sort of freelance world, but then I've learned about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm sort of thinking, okay, I need to do something. I need to find a happy medium with, with money and find ways to work around it. But it's not easy no, to No, it's not. Do you think, is, that, is that because of a lack of tools to be able to find that? Is it education? Because the technology's there. We know it is. We have things like Monzo Pots where you can mm. put money away. Oh, yeah. And, you know, revolute with their vaults. But is it yeah. enough? Yeah, it is education, 100%. Because it's money language is not taught in school. And it is like a foreign language. It's like a foreign language. And when I think of investment and I think about stocks and shares and making money work for you, I think of things like Wolf of Wall Street, who's a man and, you know, who's on the front of the Forbes covers. I mean, it's usually like these images of these grandiose sort of white men who have got suits and they're sort of looking like they're very successful. And I'm like, as, as, as a young girl growing up, I'd be like, well, that's their world. That's not for me to dabble in, you know? Yeah, definitely. So representation of who it's is in charge of money. It's intimidating in a way, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think it needs to be broken down a bit. And I think it is changing. But um, but certainly, you know, culturally, there, I think there's some shame in certain classes about around talking about the idea of being wealthy and, and mm. being happy to make wealth. It's always been money. a bit of a stigma talking about money hasn't it yeah whether it's bad or whether in a bad financial situation or a good one yeah it's weird to talk about it's private well people think it's private but should it be um i don't think so i think there's ways you can talk about it and and in you need to i think we need to empower more people absolutely and share our knowledge about it and not not shy away from that yeah and work collectively yeah i want my if i have any little offspring um (laughs) i would like them to be more aware about money and more and smarter with their money than i ever was so, yeah, it's something that, that I'm interested in, in 
passing on to future little gens. <laughs> well, you know the best way that we can do that? Yeah. Talk to an expert. We need to. Should we need an expert. In? Yes, Let's please. All right, Jen. So we have, we've sat down for a while now and we've talked about savings and interest and it does feel like we are kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole here. It does. So I think it will be good now to introduce our wonderful guest for the day and just and, and become a bit more clued up on it. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, I'm really excited to have a guest on again. I know, it's, it's very exciting. And today we have Felix Milton, who is a chartered financial planner at Philip J. Milton & Company, PLC, based in Devon. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, my understanding is that at the age of 24, not only does Felix fit the millennial demographic, he's one of us. He's not one of those <laughs> kind of people who you think, oh, they know, they, they look like they're different to me. He's one of us. And he is also one of the youngest in the UK to hold the prestigious chartered title and provides independent financial advice on a range of subjects such as investment planning, taxation and pensions. Uh, Felix has also been recognised as one of the top 35 under 35s in his industry twice. Whoa. What an achievement. And has made appearances on BBC Radio 4's Moneybox. So there we go. I think as a millennial, I think uh, Felix is in a unique position to sort of better understand and explain the financial questions and queries that we'll have. Do you agree, Alex? I really don't think we could have a better guest. Yeah. Felix, how's it going, mate? Hi, yeah. Very, thanks for having me on the show. Excellent. Welcome. Well, well, we're just going to dive right into it. Um, so, Felix, what's an AER and why should I care about it? So let's go back to basics. And an AER basically is what is the, is the interest rate on a savings account. So it stands for the annual equivalent rate, which is rather official, but effectively all it's telling you is what's the interest rate you'll get on that account. Um, it's rather complicated when you get into it. Um, and it depends if the interest is paid monthly or yearly. But effectively, all it's showing you is how much am I going to earn if I put my money into that account. Right, perfect. That makes, Great. That makes so, sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And... So what are the best options for saving? So like we know an ISA is, is classic um, and that's kind of the most widely known, I'd yeah. say, that, you know, people say put it in an ISA. You think, yeah, but, but actually, is there anything else we should be looking into? What else is there to go to apart from an ISA? So let's go back to basics with the ISA. An ISA is simply a savings account that you don't pay any tax on. So that's why most people have heard of it and know it because it is very good in that regard. However, a few years ago, the government introduced a new tax bracket called the Personal Savings Allowance. And what that effectively mm-hmm. means is you can earn interest tax-free up to certain levels. So if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you can have a £1,000 of interest tax-free at any year anyway. Oh, nice. okay. So what that means is you don't necessarily need to look at ISAs if you've got lower amounts. You can simply go to the highest paying interest account because you probably won't pay tax on that interest anyway. Okay. Oh, well, that oh. makes perfect sense. It's really good. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. Um, so... The other side of the coin when it comes to saving is that, and I'm curious with this one as well, especially, is if we don't have much spare money, you know, disposable income, are savings accounts still the best idea? So savings accounts are always a good idea, regardless of how much you have. Uh, obviously, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and not saving anything at all, yeah. again, it's difficult to save. But if you can save just a little bit, £10 here, £20 there, it always builds up. And it's important to have something there in case you need to meet an emergency expenditure. Um, and you can do that then without having to look at credit, for example, um, and, and use your savings. Yeah, and like ISAs, obviously there are some that you can access. You know, your your you can you can access them quite quickly, can't you? So, would you still suggest putting if it is a small amount, putting it into an ISA, or is there a different option, or do you think it just needs to be something to put aside? 
it, it needs to be something. Again, it depends what you're looking for. And if it is just a sort of rainy day fund that you need access to instantly, potentially, um, just looking at the account with the highest interest rate may help. Uh, but again, if you've got lots of money to save, then you need to start considering ISAs, really. Because yeah. once it's in an ISA, you've banked that allowance then and it's always going to be tax-free. Yeah, makes sense. So what are the key things to look out for when you are shopping for a savings account? So there's a few things really you need to look at when you're considering savings accounts. Firstly, it's what amount have you got to save? Obviously, the more you've got, the more you may need to think about where do I want to put this and what am I using it for in the future? Um, but then you need to look at the obvious, which is what interest rate am I going to get on those yeah. savings? So generally, the higher the number, the, the more interest you're going to earn, the more, more your money's working for you. Um, you need to sort of also look at what the inflation rate is, which sounds rather boring and official. Uh, inflation simply measures the value of your money year on year and what that can buy in an economy. So inflation is the silent killer and you want to try and get a savings rate that is higher than inflation because right. it makes sure your money is worth the same each year going forward. Um, then that, you want to know when the... In- sorry, Felix. Is that something you would read? How would you get that information? Is there is there small print that has this in or would it generally come up on like, if you were looking on a comparison site, would that information be readily available about inflation? So you may want to Google, say, the UK inflation rate. The big news organisations will cover it. It comes out sort of every month they do it, but usually September's the big figure that's reported everywhere. Okay. Um, and just look at the, the last figure uh, and try and make sure your savings are earning higher than that. It's not always possible, so mm. getting as high a rate as you can towards that is is likely to be best. Yeah. Um, but it just means that your the value of your money year on year should keep up with buying a basket of goods, which is how it's measured. It's a rather official economic term, um, but it's very important that you are aware of what inflation is. Mm, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have known that before. No, yeah, that's, that's definitely good to be mindful of. And, and when it comes to investments and savings and, and the like, Felix, I think there, there's, there's a stigma around it that you need to have a lot to begin. Um, so just say, for instance, I had £100. It, so you, you don't necessarily need to have a lot to begin. You don't necessarily need to? No, you don't. So it depends what you've got. I mean, if you've only got £100 there as a rainy day fund, don't invest that money because it's not really enough to be worth risking, firstly. Um, And of course, if you need a rainy day fund, if you've got it in investments and the market's gone down on that day for whatever reason, you could be selling things at less than £100. So you need to make sure you've got a buffer there firstly before you can start to build up those investments further. Mm. Okay, sure. So if I had... I've got my buffer there, and I've got some. I've got some spare cash lying around. So I've got a hundred pounds just for just for the for the ease. Which are the, what are the ways I could invest that as opposed to a traditional savings? So you could look at something, say, there's lots of app-based investment companies out there that will round up your change, for example, and invest that into what's called a tracker fund. So that simply buys uh, uh, an index, which is basically a broad measure of the biggest companies or have a specific aim. Um, It will buy all those companies in there and you will follow the index. If the general stock market goes up, your money will go up. If it goes down, your money will fall with it and it will try and follow it as closely as it can. So you can do that through, through lots of apps and it's a very new market at the moment um, but it's aimed for people with less to invest but only invest what you can afford to lose yeah of course mm. is that like um, is that like money box and those kind of um, apps? it is so, yeah. so, so that's one of them uh, Wealthify is another one of them um, there are a few out there that will that will do this for you but it's just to, to get people used to the stock market and used to investing but as you build up more those apps probably won't be as good and you may need to start seeking further advice as to how to invest your sums but for smaller amounts they're great so they're quite good for starting off like like a starter starter kind of accounts for that kind of thing to get you into the language and habits of, of doing that do you think 
Yeah, they're, they're a very good idea. I mean, looking at your money going up and down on a day-to-day basis can be unnerving at first. Mm. But if you know it's only a small amount, it's less unnerving than, say, if you put 10,000 in and suddenly that was fluctuating by a few <laughs> hundred pounds on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So if, you only, if you've only got 50, 100 pounds in there and it's going down, it's not a catastrophic loss. No. Um, and hopefully it'll get you used to how stock markets operate. And over the longer term, you can see that generally they do go up. Well, I think that's a great place to start for a yeah, lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Because actually, if you, if you can sort of... Uh, think to yourself, okay, I'm going to have this this set aside and I'm going to start investing that and using one of these apps, then that actually will, you know, that, that gets you used to seeing how it works, doesn't it? Well, exactly, yes. And, and you want to look at it and, and try and uh, understand it. And the mm. more you understand, the more you can invest and, and the greater diversity and hopefully returns you get in the future. I'm definitely going to think about that I'm now. I'm definitely going to look into it after this. Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially because like you said, it's not it's not a huge amount, but the learning curve as well and, and getting an understanding of how everything works just by putting in, say, 50, 100 pounds yeah. is, will be hugely beneficial when you yes. want to think about it later in life. 100%. If you want to do bigger investments. Yeah, really good. So, so Felix, um, got a bit of a personal one here that I want to get some advice on. Um, I've got um, about just under £2,000 on a credit card that I'm paying off. Um, and my situation was that I was in a full, I was in a permanent job where I was getting guaranteed money per month. So I thought, oh yeah, I'll put, you know, there's no problem having this credit card here because I'll be able to pay it off. Became freelance and had to reduce my payments. So although I'm paying off more than the minimum, it's still a debt that I've got. But also I'm thinking about my savings and, you know, opening uh, a LISA and, you know, thinking about f- things for the future. But is it common sense to make sure that all that debt's paid off before I start saving? Or what are your thoughts on, you know, paying off debts as well as saving at the same time? So generally, it depends on what the interest rate is on debt. So if you're borrowing at a 0% rate, it's not as bad as looking to build up a buffer at the same time, as long as you've worked out that your monthly repayments will be paying the entire debt by the time that 0% period ends. Got it. So if you are paying interest on it, it usually always makes sense to pay that off and then build up a buffer. It doesn't make sense to, say, have a credit card where you're paying interest of 20% per year, but you're saving elsewhere at 1% per year because Mm -hmm. there's a 90% difference there and you're going to lose out over the longer term. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. really, as, as I, because I think you can you, you can sleepwalk into paying interest if you don't keep an eye on your credit card, can't you? And um, do, if your term, if say your fixed term 0% is finished and you start paying interest, or in my case where I've made a purchase on that card and I've started to pay interest because of the, the general rules when I signed up, now I've got to sort of either decide whether, because I guess what I need to also do is potentially transfer it to a 0% balance uh, card, yes, right? and so that, you can you can that. do a balance transfer, yeah, um, and that basically will mean another credit card will take on your debt from another one in the hope that eventually you'll pay them interest. Um, but usually it works to your favour because you can pay off the debt then at zero percent, and mm-hmm. every payment you make is going a hundred percent to repaying the debt rather than interest. Yeah. So Got it's it. always good to try and make it at zero percent. So just to clarify, you know, providing that my debt that I'm paying off is no interest, say it could be like over a certain period of time, it does make sense to also have that savings buffer. But if the interest is higher on my on my debt, then that needs sorting or that needs paying off quicker than, than savings. Than building up savings, building up exactly. Savings. And what, what you can do with a credit card as well, if you do have an emergency expenditure and you don't have any buffer there at all, as long as it's 0%, you can use that for an emergency purchase yes. um, because yeah, you're not going to pay anything for that borrowing. Right, Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Felix, we're, we're having a, a brief chat before, um, and this, this again, it's a personal situation, but I feel like this is going to relate to quite a lot of people. Um, I'm from New Zealand, and I'm here currently on a 
uh, Tier 5 Youth Mobility Visa. Um, in, in regards to savings accounts and investments, in the, and would you have any recommendations for people on that kind of short-term basis, or is it best just to leave it in an account and then once you return home or wherever and get more settled, then it's a good time to start? I mean, it always makes sense to build up savings as soon as you can. So if you are living in the UK, and again, if you're planning to stay in the UK longer than the the two-year visa, um, building up funds over here is likely to be to your interest. Um, And even doing things such as, say, saving into a company pension or saving uh, just generally in an account is likely to be worth worth your while because, one, you also will benefit from the exchange rate difference. Uh, If you do go back to to New Zealand, for example, and say the pound has, has gone up over that period, you'll have more money in New Zealand when you get there. So it does make sense, certainly, to, to save regardless of what your visa requirements are or how long you're in a country. Yeah, that makes sense. So mm. I guess I guess the gist of that is regardless of your situation, make Just sure you're saving. saving. Yeah. yeah, but more specifically, we were looking at the, the Lifetime we were. ISA pro- product earlier because that's been quite a hot, hot topic since we've started delving into finance. <laughs> so basically, generally, a Lifetime ISA, you have to be between the ages of 18 and 40 to be able to open the account, and then you can put in £4,000 each year, and the government will add £1,000, so yeah. it's up to £4,000. Um, so it's a nice little bonus for you, and then you can use that money to buy a house, or if you don't buy a house, you can use it... At, 60 for your pension and access the funds tax-free. Um, if you need it for whatever reason in the interim, you can access it and then pay a small charge. Um, but the idea is that you only use it to buy a house or for your retirement in the future. Mm. I'm, I've certainly opened one up recently because I think it's too good not too good to miss, I think, the, the LISA. Exactly. It, it's a very good product. Um, but again, with the limits, and there's one key disadvantage for a LISA uh, versus a pension, which I'll come back to, um, that your employer can't pay into a LISA. So yes. if yes. you're a member of a yes. workplace pension, your employer can't add into that. So you're not getting their benefit. So that's sure. why that's a key difference with a LISA. Yeah. Love that. And um, risk is something that's popped up uh, yeah, in, it has. In, in our heads as well as a, as a point of interest because... We've obviously talked about, you know, starting off saving. You might have small pots of money and, you know, it's always good to save. We've established, you know, and always put something away. At which point is it good to have some risk in your savings? So how comfortable do you need to be? Is it just personal preference? Because, you know, you might have, um, someone might get to a point where they think, okay, I've got sort of £8,000 here. Shall I start putting it into a higher risk so I get some higher return? You know, what kind of factors do you need to be considering so the first thing you want to look at is the time scale. So how long are you looking to invest this money for in the first place? If you're, say, an 18-year-old and you're investing for your retirement, which you know is not going to be until probably well in excess of 60, if not 70, based on the demographics and, and where the population is going, <laughs> um, you, can, you can basically take quite a high risk with that money because generally if you look at stock market returns over that period, so you're going to have effectively 40 years to invest that money, uh, markets have gone up significantly over 40 years. Yes, there have been crashes in the in-between, but markets have always recovered. Now, that's not to say that that's always going to be the case going forward, but it'd be very unlikely if that wasn't the case. So then you could start to look at taking a bit more risk because you know that you Mm. can't access the money regardless. So you can benefit from the subsequent recoveries and hopefully grow your funds to a bigger pot versus if, say, you're investing for a year or two years, 
can you really afford to take a lot of risk or any risk at all if you know you're going to need the money at a set point in the future? What if the market has gone down at that point and you have to in cash at a lower level? So mm. it really depends on how long you're looking to invest for. But then again, it comes into your personal preference and your appetite. If you are willing to take a bit of a gamble um, in the knowledge that it's not a black and white as it is, say, betting on a horse, um, <laughs> then maybe you should take some higher risk. But again, it's, it's important to consider what you're comfortable with and what you're looking for uh, to do with the money mm. in the future. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah. a, a lot about your own personal risk appetite. Yeah, risk appetite and length of and time. Length, yeah, especially the length. But I do feel like, you know, at 18, this is it's it, it's not something I didn't have that long-term view uh and understanding to sort of think to myself about my pension at that stage. No. Just, just kind of spreading that message as much as you can, I guess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And just making that. sure that people are aware of it and, and the opportunities that are ahead of them. Mm. Because I remember at 18, I wouldn't even consider an investment for a second. No. But actually knowing about it now, it's kind of like almost kicking myself that I could have put something away for the last... Yeah, well, you've got more time on than me, Alex. So I you... do. I'm going to start today. <laughs> you should get started. And just just la- lastly as well, um, are, from from a young age, you, get, you inherit uh, ideas about money, good habits, bad habits... Are there any sort of percentages we could work towards with our money as in like, you know, save this much percent, put this percent towards your living income? Are there any kind of guidelines that are good to start from an early age or that you could teach children from an early age? So that generally, the more the better is is the broad rule. It's not a not a specific percentage. Obviously, the more you can save, the better it's going to benefit you later in life. As a general rule for saving, say for your retirement, if you take the age you want to start saving, divide it by two, that could give you a rough idea of how much you should be contributing into a pension or something for for the longer term. So say you're an 18 year old, roughly look at putting nine percent of your salary into a pension each year going forward. Ah, oh, um, that's good. Yeah, that's really on top of that. It depends on what you're looking for. So as you get older, of course, the more you're going to need to save to build up that buffer because you haven't benefited from the growth over those few years. So that's a general hard and fast uh, general rule. It's not hard and fast by any means. Yes. Um, but that, that's a good starting point, I'd say. Yeah, it's good to get that first step. So take your age. For, so for a pension pot, for example, take your age, divide it by two. That's your contribution. That's your contribution. But that, could that be applied just to general saving as well? Exactly. And again, with general savings, if you can save more for whatever reason, it's always worthwhile doing that. If just just don't stick to that religiously and spend everything else. If you find that you're actually having some more left over at the end of the month, that's a good thing and save that too. Yeah, great. Excellent. Well, Felix, I think even in the short time, I feel like I've learned a lot about savings. I was just sitting here while you're answering that being like, wow, I really need to get started. Yeah, and slightly kicking ourselves yeah, as well. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit disappointed <laughs> myself, but when it's never too late to start, which I think is the biggest thing as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that I'm going to remember that percentage, um, that percentage analogy, but also... Or that percentage tip, but also um, really look, looking into doing something with an, you know, some kind of app investment, yeah. so I can get used to seeing that money going up and down. I think that will get used, that will get us used to to sort of seeing what's happening with our money and not so scared of it as well. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, Felix. Really enjoyed that today, and um, there's lots we can take away from that. Yeah. Thank you very much, Felix. Yeah, thank you for having me. What an interesting guy. You know what? I feel like we're going to have to get him back for a future episode. Yeah. There's so much more information you can give us. I, I really hope that I'm on that level at 24. <laughs> I really doubt it. Uh, but, man, you could learn so much from him. Yeah, no. He's obviously, he's, I guess, he's, as a financial advisor, that's why you get, get people to advise you about what you're doing, right? Yeah. Because it's, it, it does feel like a bit of a minefield. But ha- actually, what he broke down for us um, 
made made sense. He demystified a few a few points. Yeah, definitely. So, is there anything that you particularly liked about what he said that you thought, you know, I'm going to go try that? There's there's so many things, but one of the biggest takeaways for me was the apps that you can do to mm. just kind of get on that investment ladder because I mean, that's just another way of kind of savings and building that portfolio of money for yourself, yes. right? And I think there's always been this stigma and we've talked about this around investments and savings and it's kind of like it's very you know, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. and it's quite, it's very intense. But they, just being able to put a couple of hundred pounds here or there or even doing an automatic payment every week and start building that up and being able to visualise that. Yeah. Which, uh, it sounds fun. Yeah. It sounds really entertaining. Well, it's almost like, you know, just to, not not to say that money is a game, but essentially you, I want to build those habits up in my, yeah. in those sort of neuro, neurological pathways that sort of tell me that this is, this is how it works, right? So if I'm seeing my money over the course of a year, seeing what happens to it, then maybe I've got a better idea on a, on a larger scale for the future of what, of what it will look like. So it just seems like a no brainer, really, it, providing you've got, you know, a little pot that you can afford yeah. to put aside to do that. Definitely. And I think that was the other side of that coin, right? Is that start early. Yeah, and that's I, because while this, these apps are great, I think it is it's borderline is a little bit of a gamble with your money. Yeah, but just being able to put them put them as much as you can away every week or every fortnight or whatever you can do into a savings account where you don't touch it, mm-hmm. and it's got a, even if it's a small interest rate, it's better than nothing. Yeah, and you can build that buffer, which Felix mentioned, which is really important because you know things can happen. Yeah, and if you had a huge expense come out, you want to make sure that you're at least financially sound enough to be like I can cover that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I guess this is where actually ha- opening, you know, a couple of uh, two or three accounts for those different savings yeah, pots yeah, makes yeah. sense, right? Because you've got one that you can't touch. You you kind of almost have to forget about that, don't you? Yeah. And yeah. then you have like maybe a slush fund for holidays, or you know, for those other things that you know you might want to dig into and take money out for. Definitely. Um, but yeah, having that kind of the the lock away savings thing. I think is is important to sort of start embedding into your psyche a bit it as is, well. It is, isn't it? Like kind of yeah. like, these funds are here and yeah. I'm, I just need to pretty much imagine they're not mine anymore. Yeah. Because I go on, they're locked away and then in 10 years, 15 years time, 20, 30, whatever it may be, what a treat that is to actually see like, wow, this has changed a lot. Yeah, 100%. What about you? What, what was the biggest takeaway? I think for me, the biggest takeaway was when he shared that information about percentages. So he sort of said, you know, you take your age, divide it by two, and that's a percentage of your money you could be saving, right? Yeah. Because that's a nice guideline. Like for me, I love to have like little pie charts in my head, dividing up what I do with my money kind of each month. And I guess that means that if my pay does fluctuate as well, mm-hmm. I can say, okay, well, this month I've only got this amount. But if I'm saving that percentage of what I've got this month, then I'm still on track with a kind of savings goal or yeah, a savings definitely. system, I suppose. But that's you know? an interesting one, the savings goal. Mm. And I think that would be a really cool way, even if you look at it in quarters or throughout the whole year, it's just like you could, you can really set savings goals for yourself. Yeah, and it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be on a percentage of your income, mm-hmm. but you could be like, okay, this was a good month. You know, I saved lots, I I didn't go out for dinners, I didn't party too hard or whatever it may be, Yeah. and now I'm gonna, so I'm going to add more. Yeah. And that could be a really good way to, you know, it's, uh, just to visualize and, and it would be rewarding to see that regardless see that, that yeah. I'm still hitting my goals and yeah. towards saving for, for, for the future, really. Yeah. So I guess there you've got like two different different systems you can have savings goal where you can sort of 
work towards reaching that amount. And yeah. like you said, it, that incentivizes you to put away more potentially. Mm-hmm. And that does work for people. I know that I've seen um, my old, my bank that I use used to have like an account where it said, here's a savings goal. And it used to sort of have a little visual bar, which was quite nice. Yeah. Or the percentage that you put away each month can be a nice way of doing it. If you are, for, for example, self-employed and you're getting different amounts each month, yes, exactly. at least you know you're following some kind of system. It may not reach the goal, but it might surprise you how much you'll save using that system, I think, you know. There's just there's so many ways. I think there's so many ways about it, um, but it's just it's just like we like we keep having on knowledge is power. Yeah. And just making sure that you are being you know you are thinking about it. Yeah. Because this is everyone's going to need to do it eventually, or you will get caught out. Yeah, you kind of just need to bite that bullet. You got to do it. Got to do it. Make some sacrifices. Yeah, uh, for long term gains. Absolutely. <laughs> so to end the episode, we are going to play the million dollar question. Yes. Which is our version of truth or lie. You like this game, Alex? I love this game. All right, here we go. We're going to launch into it. So this week's million dollar question is, is it true or false that Julius Caesar was the first living ruler to put his head on a coin? It must be true. It is true. No way, really? Yeah, you got that one right. Big tick for you, Alex. (laughs) So it turns out that Julius, I love how it's just Julius here, not Julius Julius Caesar, like we're on first name terms. We're buddies now. (laughs) So it turns out that Julius was notoriously vain and wanted to relate himself to good fortune and victories to stand out in battle. Worth a shot, eh? See, that doesn't (laughs) surprise me because everything you hear about him, he was... Yeah. Yeah, something else. He was something else. So, yeah. I mean, imagine if we apply that to everything, though. If, you know, whoever was leading, the leading financial earner or the top top person in Forbes that year, their their head got on the coin. Just Jeff Bezos on all the, uh, yeah, on all yeah, the coins. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe exactly. one day. But I like that we've got a woman on the coin. I guess at least that balances it out, right? It does. Female, it does. Female related to money. But there we go. That's it. Thanks for listening to Consumerosity. Hit subscribe in your favourite podcast app and join us for future episodes. See you later. See ya. See ya.